In a world of art and entertainment, we often seek deeper meaning and overanalyze the presentation. Director Paul Verhoeven often uses B-movie genre as a vehicle for complex human emotions, social satire, and shocking sex and violence. Is this genius subtext for the artist's intent, or our own imagination looking for cosmic connection where none were intended? We call, we this, call dilemma this dilemma the Verhoeven effect. friends you're listening to the Verhoeven effect podcast i'm conlin and i'm nathan we have another very special episode we have the 1986 movie blue velvet which first came out on october 23rd 1986 in italy nice um, i guess would be for obvious reasons because this is a dino de Laurentiis production so uh, i think he's italian or at least he's vividly associated with italian he sounds italian okay Oh, uh, we've talked about him before because he produced Red Sonia. He is a crazy, uh, eccentric producer with lots of who seemingly lots of money and no money all at the same time. He's, you know, it's one of those that, guys. Yeah, <laughs> it's like how does he do this? Because we always think because I'm guilty of a lot of I don't have a great imagination really, and I'm guilty of a lot of linear thought. It's like, well, if you want to build something, you start by laying one stone at a time. <laughs> until you know you get to this point but then you hear about these guys that come along and it's like they capture funding from somewhere uh, <laughs> 10 movies don't make money one of them is a huge hit but they're all made for the same budget so basically the net the net balance at the end of that is zero but somehow people are living in houses they're talking hollywood <laughs> studios into having things and it's like okay cool guess i don't i guess i lack imagination <laughs> Uh, Nathan, I doubt you saw this in the movie theaters. When did you first become aware of Blue? Oh, Velvet? I didn't see this. I was after out of hours. Uh, probably my senior year of high school. I okay. watched this. So like ninety two, ninety three is when I first really sat down and and watched. Okay, so this. you probably saw Twin Peaks before you saw this. My entry to David Lynch, besides Dune, which I did watch when I was a lot younger, uh, but I don't. That was just like a cool movie. I didn't really associate yeah. that with like the stamp of David Lynch. No, I didn't. David Lynch wasn't a thing until the Twin Peaks TV show. And then I really started getting into like, well, let's watch Eraserhead. That's at the library. Let's watch. Uh, <laughs> um, but I think this came along in my HBO days, which is okay. interesting where I watched it before. Well, Max now, but you know, <laughs> Max. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I watched it on HBO again for this. Um, yeah, Dune was probably also my first David Lynch movie, but yeah, again, yeah. it's like, oh, it doesn't really have the stamp, but it does have weirdness, so that is, there is the air of David Lynch. Oh, it's today. a David Lynch movie, but just didn't, uh, he was just working off someone else's material. I yeah. mean, uh, you know, I mean, I know a lot of, some people hate it, some people revisit it as a classic. I always liked it as a cult classic, but yeah, yeah this movie's like definitely like, Oh, this is the beta for Twin Peaks. This is Blue Velvet is Twin Peaks beta, David Lynch, because a lot of the ideas in uh, Blue Velvet are in Twin Peaks, including yeah. Lumbertown. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this actually, there's actually a lot of things when rewatching this is like, oh, th this has a lot of DNA for a lot of. Well, I've also never seen Wild at Heart. And I remember there was something where there was trivia that he directed the Wild Heart music video. It's like, well, that's iconic. And it's like, no, not the not the black and white one where 
where uh, Chris Isaac is rolling around with a supermodel. A different guy directed that. When Wild at Heart came out, they did like a cut. They did like a new music video for Wicked Games with footage from Wild at Heart, which won like some MTV music video award. It's like, oh, okay, so that's way different. But anyways, I, I watched that music video and it's like, oh, like there's like the weird, like where they're just like, have a camera on a car and they're just shining a light on the side of the road. It's like, oh, that become that's in Wild at Heart. That's in Lost Highway. That yes. mean, that's half a Lost Highway. It's just that shot. <laughs> so it's like, there's like, oh, this shot's from that movie and that movie too. It's like, oh, okay, so this carries a lot of DNA. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I would say this is a very strong Twin Peaks precursor. Yeah. Especially the first two seasons. You know, the third season that came out 30 years later, <laughs> a little, little different animal, kind of the same. But now this was definitely, uh, this was definitely, I, I, I yeah, I like this movie a lot, a lot. I liked it when I watched it in high school. I didn't understand why it was just like, oh, this is suitable. Cause I'm one of those people, like, I'm not one of those guys, like I'm going to delve into the philosophy about like, oh, this has, this has to do with Jungian theory of like, you know psychology and this is the id and the ego and the super ego and this guy represents a, i don't do that i'm just like oh i like the weirdness in this movie and the strange dialogue and it's like oh it's like it starts out as a scooby-doo mystery and then dennis <laughs> hopper shows up with a oxygen tank and a handgun and it's like oh it gets really cool from there <laughs> But I don't have to like sit around and like, ooh, this means this and that means that. I know all that stuff and I could do it. Yeah. But one of the things well, I appreciate about David Lynch is he doesn't pressure me to understand yeah. his work. He's like, it's, yeah, it's whatever you think it is. Yeah. Which is what all those guys are doing. He just admits it. Yeah. Because everyone else, like, like that, you know, like that, uh, what's that guy's, uh, The Place Beyond the Pines, that uh, William Rindig or, you know, Oh, wind and roughing. Yeah, like those guys, like they almost want to like argue about, like, no, no, it means yeah. this. And it's like, <laughs> don't do that to me. Or like the namesake of this podcast, it's like yeah. he's always trying to shoehorn meaning into stuff. <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah, that's kind of quirky and fun because he believes that. But David Lynch has almost admitted, like, when he starts talking about his meditation and stuff, it's like sometimes I film it and it happens, and it's like <laughs> it was in my subconscious. But I didn't mean to do this. And I was like, that's endearing because that's how I'm watching this movie too, David. So thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, my very home effect was a movie, and I think it's probably the obvious one. And again, you can interpret this however you want, is that there's something about David Lynch really taps into the true heart of the Midwest. Mm -hmm. And that's what this movie is, is that it's all surface happiness and prosperity but really it's just a cover for the darkness underneath. Yeah. Oh, which yeah. is what the Midwest is. Oh, yeah. Lynch is essentially a Pennsylvania guy. Um, born in Montana, <laughs> but his dad lived like all over. And I think, I think like he said, like Philadelphia is what inspired Eraserhead because he grew up there. Uh, so it's like a big industrial hellhole. Um, and this is like, see, I like this, this movie and, and movies like this because I've lived in suburbia for the last 25 years. And, you know, just through no fault of my own, I've got to know some of my neighbors over the years and the lives they lead. And, and you know, much much like Kyle McLaughlin, I, I kind of walk through, like, I'm a little naive. Like, I see darkness and evil and everything, but I don't necessarily live in darkness and evil. 
So it's like kind of my magic talisman is like, I'm going to believe the worst things about my neighbors. <laughs> and then if it's true, like I'm protected from the evil because I called it. It's, it's like, I see, I have the secret knowledge. I know like, oh, she's like sleeping with this guy or someone's getting handcuffed to a, a German shepherd. Or I, it's like, I know there's weird <laughs> going on around me. And if I guess it before I find out about it, it's like, oh, I'm shielded from the weirdness. So, yeah, because <laughs> I live in a suburb that literally like, is like the back rooms of of suburbs like it just goes on forever it's like it's all the houses look the same all the streets look the same but it's like i know bad things are going on behind those doors that's what i appreciate about this movie is like uh, yeah this is this is really what suburban america is like only here my, we don't my, have quite the 50s vibe that they did <laughs> in this movie but uh my high flute sentence i came up about this is that this is the pentiment of Americana being uncovered to see the darkness underneath. Yeah. <laughs> um, which pentiment is a is a concept I only learned about from the video game pentiment. Which if you don't know what pentiment means, it means like so if you're a painter, you can't you can't just like erase it and start over again. So you just have to paint over top of it. Okay. <laughs> so I did what, not like, know that. Called, I learned something called, tonight. <laughs> it's called pentiment. Uh, so, you know, much like a cover-up tattoo, you know, where somebody, you know, uh, someone has to cover up a swastika so they make it look like a ni Windows 98 logo. So, that's sort of what... <laughs> that's happened? <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> oh, okay. I thought this was a story. Like, uh, I knew a guy. Uh, so, like, the concept of Pentiment is actually more involved with, like, the Catholic Church and, like, them uh, commissioning works of art for the church. And then, like, them becoming more prudish over time. And, like, you know, we don't like this nudity and violence in these. And then they have painters paint over top of it. And then when... Wow, so, like, he... Winston Smith at the Ministry of Truth. <laughs> yeah. He who controls the future controls the past, or at least the paintbrush. <laughs> and and then, so, like, you would have people, like, that would go back in and, like, restore these paintings. And they would, like, uncover it. It's like, this is Pentiment. And they take it off and find the real painting underneath the original. And it's like you know fascinating that's, yeah, that's <laughs> anyway, wild so there's a video game out there called pentiment it's on game pass i believe so you know you, you can play it um so yeah yeah so that's so i like i like that that word pentiment and so here that's i use the pentiment of americana so uh yeah obviously this is directed by david lynch uh cinematographer is frederick elms who this is pretty much the most famous thing he ever did okay uh, I can I look at his filmography. It's not anything I really. What does a cinematographer for David Lynch do? Is that like just kind of get out of the way and here's, yeah. your, here's your paycheck? Thanks. Uh, of course, this is written by David Lynch. Uh, cast is Isabella Rossellini, Kyle MacLachlan, and Dennis Hopper, and Laura Dern. Yep. The uh, eternal hottie, Laura Laura Dern. <laughs> Dean Stockwell, can't forget him. <laughs> And who else was? Oh, Brad Dorf and Jack Nance. Yeah, yeah. Jack Nance is the guy. Is it the? Oh, wait, who is it? Is he the owns the lumber yard in Twin Peaks or who? Yeah, is he? he's basically been in every David Lynch thing. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, but I believe he owns the lumber yard because he wears the same hat. And... <laughs> uh, so yeah, so yeah, uh, we get a Dino De Laurentiis production credit, so we know it's like okay, this is but either gonna be something great or or stupid <laughs> so, and it can be whatever you want to be <laughs> uh we get credits on a blue velvet curtains 
Then we cut to a blue sky while blue velvet plays like the original version, I believe. I'm like, yeah, we I get think picturesque. they were playing the uh, Tony Bennett version as the original. Okay. But it's a song that's been covered by like all kinds of people. Yeah. Uh, we get picturesque, picturesque scenes of America. You get like like a fire truck going by and he's like smiling and waving at like, <laughs> and you know, this is the, you know, this is the tapestry that covers the, the violence of the Midwest. <laughs> um, uh, then we have a guy who's watering the lawn with like some trouble, like the hose is getting kinked and wrapped up in something. And then he suddenly suffers like a stroke or something. We never learned. It just seems yeah. like it would be a stroke. Uh, <laughs> and then comically, like there's the dog, he's like hunched over the thing's still spraying a dog's like biting the water a toddler appears out of nowhere, just wanders around. <laughs> and then we cut to like, we zoom in on the blades of grass and then there's like insects amongst the dirt. And there's just like, you hear like chewing and clawing and just a general dissonance or whatever, if that's the right word. Yeah. Just a, 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 a low disconcerting rumble, <laughs> which is something that will permeate this movie. Yes. A discordant <laughs> crunching sound. <laughs> Uh, then we cut to like some radio advert for Lumberton, USA, which actually sounds like some kind of weird like horror film at first because you have like the chainsaw sounds, but then it's like, "Welcome to Lumbertown, USA." <laughs> so letting you know who where we are, which I don't know if that's supposed to be another. If this is actually supposed to be, there like, is a Lumberton, North Carolina. Oh, okay. There is a real place. It's got like twenty thousand <laughs> people in it. Well, I mean, if you associate this with. Twin Peaks, you'd assume it would be like in the Pacific Northwest, but hey, you know, it could be anywhere. No, it's in North Carolina. Okay. Um, it's incredible. Well, I'm just saying, it's incredibly hot there. I, I actually just don't know like where this movie explains where it takes place. I mean, that's the actual location. I actually don't know where they shot it or anything like oh, that. Oh, yeah, I don't know where they, they, that's where they say they are. But then this movie kind of phases in and out of the night. 19- oh, did they say the state? Oh, they say they're in North Carolina? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, Kyle I don't remember. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. I missed that. So okay. Yeah, well, that makes sense then. He is. Um, yeah, it's it. Yeah, it's it's described to be in like yeah, it's in North Carolina, and I don't know where okay. they shot it. I didn't see any <laughs> palm trees in the background, but you know. <laughs> uh, I mean, they could always always shot it in Canada during the <laughs> yeah during the warm months. Yeah, well, Jeffrey Beaumont, Wilmington, North Carolina, and Lumberton. Okay, okay cool. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, that works out then. Huh. That's interesting. I shot at North Carolina called Lumberton, and then they end up shooting in Seattle, or not Seattle, but Washington for uh, Twin Peaks. At least I assume they maybe they went back to North Carolina. I don't yeah, I don't know what North Carolina would be. North Carolina is a place where they do shoot a lot of movies, but not like it's not like a new Hollywood or anything. And it's not they shoot way more stuff in Atlanta still, but North Carolina still gets stuff. I don't know if you know the. Um, friendly tax credits or whatever just appears now and again that's why people go to north carolina or what yeah there could be a lot of i mean it kind of looks like other places so because north carolina is like it's in the south but it also is a coastal state you know state yeah you can shoot on beaches there and i mean the thing with like georgia is it's like yeah it's tax free that's (laughs) that's that's the kind of tax credit because we had that for a while yeah and uh you know our then our next governor decided like no i want to build like you know, uh, car parts plants where we pay everyone minimum wage. Like that's where the state's <laughs> money is going. And you know, of course, that guy just poisoned everyone in Flint and then left the <laughs> left in disgrace. 
Uh, we have Jeffrey Moma. It's played by Kyle McLaughlin. Uh, who, he's walking by like a dilapidated shed and like chucks a rock towards it. Yeah. Um, then we go to Jeffrey sees his father in the hospital. He's the stroke guy from the beginning. His father fails to communicate, but like exudes extreme sadness from, from not being able to communicate. So you can get that. He's like crying, like trying to talk to his son. It's like, uh, and they make it all weird because he has like all kinds of medical equipment on. So it's yeah, like he's extra. wearing a halo. He has a trach hole in his throat. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like really. Yeah, it's a typical David Lynch, like kind of <laughs> shock weird. Yeah. Uh, we cut back to him, like, walking away from the hospital. He's chucking more rocks at the sheds. Uh, while searching for rocks, he, like, finds a cut-off human ear. Uh, you know, just randomly. Uh, so he puts that in a bag and walks away with it. Uh, and then we cut to Jeffrey goes to the police station looking for Detective Williams. Uh, so he, he shows him the ear. At first, it's like, De- Detective Williams, like, you got an ear. That's kind of weird. Let me see it. It's like... Yep, that's a human ear. It <laughs> just rolls with it, like not, not surprised at all. <laughs> it's like, well, you told me the truth, and I discovered you were weren't lying. So let's continue well, forward. Well, this is another thing I like about David Lynch movies, and, and it's my favorite kind of thing that happens in you know in general is when weird stuff goes on and people are just like, yep, and they just continue talking about like, well, <laughs> this is now a situation, and this is how we're going to deal with it. But we're going to deliver the dialogue in the most straightforward, like, we're just having a conversation. You want a cup of coffee? That's a human ear. Okay. And there's a lot. That's a lot of David Lynch dialogue is that. It's like the dialogue's not the best part. It's the what's going on in the background. It's it's like and people acting weird. And it's, yeah, that's, but yeah. Yeah, it's always the. Yeah, the mismatch of emotions. Because then there'll be stuff where it's like everything calm and nothing weird is happening, and then people are freaking out and yelling and screaming. It's like, what's wrong? Yeah. <laughs> oh, nothing. <laughs> Which I like because that's kind of how I view most of life anyway, because I don't pay attention except to the things that inter- inter- interest me. So when people start screaming and running in circles, a lot of times I'm like, huh? You know, because it's like I didn't have the whole build up to like why everyone is upset because I was like doing something else. I was lost in my own thoughts or (laughs) something. So, yeah, I I always like that's my favorite kind of thing is when crazy stuff is happening and people are reacting to it either improperly or with complete like you just lassitude like, huh? Wow. Well, that's a hell of a thing, isn't it? And like someone's on fire in the background. Like, you ever see anything like that? Fuck yeah. I love that. I don't know why I like those kind of scenes, but I do. Yeah, I almost had a weird real life scene like that because I was working on something and one of uh, my expensive tools seemed to have broken. And I was like, I was just kind of like, huh? Oh, well. And then the other guy's like, why aren't you screaming right now? It's like, well, that's not going to help anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i kind of like i've been asked that before because sometimes i get mad about stuff and then sometimes i get don't at all and people are like aren't you upset about that i was like yeah but it's like if i flap my arms like a chicken and pee in my pants does it like go away no uh so it's like i guess it's like i'm just f-ed. it's like yeah i can be mad at, and sometimes i do get really mad about things like inconsequential things but like big stuff will happen and i'll be like wow I remember when an RV flipped over once when I was driving with someone, and I was like, God damn, did you see that? And I just kept driving. I was like, do you want to stop? And it's like, well, I guess. I Do what? You know, it was, it was kind of like, 
that was weird because it, it was like it was coming straight. You know, RVs are just like a brick with wheels on them. And it was coming straight at us, like turning through the intersection. And I was going this way. And it just like all of a sudden was on its side but kept moving. I'm like, <laughs> that's a hell of a thing. Like, I could see the drive shaft spinning as I was going by. It's like, that's really weird. <laughs> Should we stop maybe? It's like, no, I, it's kind of busy out here. It's like, I don't, I don't think anyone got hurt. I don't know why the thing was on its side. It was just suddenly it was well, this and then it was that. It was we're like, just going to get in the way. The police and the rescue people need to get there. Yeah, it's like I'm not like a qualified like emergency medical technician or anything. I'm not going to know what to do. It's like, help me. It's like, um, tell me about your childhood. I mean, what do you want me to say? Do you like David Lynch movies? Yeah. <laughs> just sit down on the ground and it's like someone's like crawling towards me it's like so tell me when your day started you totally didn't imagine like this is how it would end right and this person just looking at it with like this blood running down their forehead like, i'm really i'm trying to be in the moment here see no one appreciates that like i'd probably be arrested for acting that way like, you're under arrest for being a weirdo <laughs> Ah, the fifties again. Ah, here we are. <laughs> um, so Detective Williams and Jeffrey go to the morgue to get the doctor's opinion. He's like, "Yep, that's a human ear," and he's like saying, "Like, yeah, we can pull, you know, sex and the time whether it was severed off by from a corpse or a live body. We'll determine all that." That's really something, uh, you know, because Kyle McLaughlin's <laughs> looking at him like, "Yeah, that's really that's amazing." <laughs> it's a, no one's like, "Was there?" An ear laying around. <laughs> <laughs> what does this mean? Uh, then they come back to the shed and they have a police grid search going on. So basically, we have like the plot of the movie is like, whose ear is this? <laughs> so I have that being the end of Act One. We have Act Two. Uh, we cut to night. Jeffrey's going out for a walk. Yep. Uh, uh, hey, it's Happy Gilmore's grandma. Yeah. <laughs> I forget. It's, yeah, she's there. Which at first I was like, hey, that's the log lady, but it's not the log lady. No, that's, uh, yeah. Can't think of the actress's name because she died right before they did season three, Twin Peaks. Yeah. Because they Although, dedicated it. To that it. was like four people in that show. Yeah, well, yeah. It was her. It was what? Uh, Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah. Uh, the guy. The, the original oh, sheriff, Garcia. right? Yeah. Or he does uh, not one, come back. Well, I'm not sure. They said he was sick in the show, but I'm not sure if that was. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, I don't remember. And the guy, I can't remember his name's like Garcia something. He was like in RoboCop and he was like an FBI agent in the show. Like that was his last performance too. Yeah, there was like four or five people that died on that production. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that was the young executive. Uh, yeah. The guy who invented RoboCop because it was competing with Ed 209 because the Ed 209 just incinerated that executive. Yeah. One of the best scenes in cinematic history. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we'll get there eventually. Yeah, it's gonna happen. <laughs> uh, we cut to a zoom in on on the ear. Uh, we get darkness and ominous sounds as like you know it goes into the like the, the ear canal and just be, starts becoming darkness. Uh, we cut back and Jeffrey talks with Detective Williams. He says he can't give Jeffrey details on the case, but it's like your role in this is over, so I can't tell you anything more. So then Jeffrey leaves. There's also Sandy Williams, his daughter, this played by Lauren Dern, is mentioned, and we see a photo of her, but we haven't seen her yet. And then, then when uh, 
Jeffrey goes outside, like Sandy just emerges from the darkness. Yeah, like, like from the air. bushes or something. Like. <laughs> hey. She's got, blonde, <laughs> she's got blonde hair and a pink dress. They kind of walk and catch up. It's weird because it's like, not, I can't remember. This is the part where there's like a heavy set guy with a small dog and like sunglasses yes. and he's just there. Yep. <laughs> In the back, I don't know what that means, but you know, <laughs> it has something. Well, they are establishing like she's a senior in high school and Kyle's like a sophomore in college, yeah. So it's it's kind of establishing like it's still kind of okay that they're in a relationship, yeah. I mean, back, back then, then they didn't worry about like that. <laughs> I mean, she was 21 in this movie, so it's fine, yeah. <laughs> the no, reality of it, so I mean, Laura Dern is like super hot to me, she's like one of those yeah. women that like. I don't usually like lust after women, but like her and Sigourney Weaver are like, oh yeah, these are my go-to. Like those are hot women to me. Um, and I don't know why, because a lot of people are like, oh, they're strange looking. It's like I don't think so, but because well, they're really age. smart it's too, and you can like relate. You could imagine like having an intelligent conversation yeah. with the actual person, not the characters they play in movies. Like, oh, it would be interesting to talk to them. Also, Laura Dern has an interesting vulnerability that I don't think a lot of women get to express. No. Because she's associated with David Lynch. She gets to do whatever he or she wants. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a weird, like, David Lynch must be the best guy in the universe to work for. Because think of all the people that have just always done David Lynch. Like, I don't know if he's the best guy to like if I was funding one of his movies to work with. But I think as an actor, it's like it must be amazing because everyone keeps revolving back. It's like, yeah, I want to yeah. work with. It's kind of like the guy who did uh, Breaking Bad. It's like, well, everyone wants to work with this guy. It's like, you know, yeah. probably because David Lynch is like all visual and he's not like he's not doing like, oh, it's like a Stanley Kubrick. Like, we're going to shoot this 7000 times. Well, and also like, well, Kubrick, Kubrick is like, I'm going to direct, I'm going to cinematographer, I'm going to do electrical, uh, I'm going to basically tell you exactly how you're going to act. Although sometimes I hear it's not. He just like, he just waited till they did something he thought was right. But David Lynch is like, everybody has their job. Like, I'm going to do my job and you do your job. I'm not going to interfere. <laughs> and, and even when actor, like when Marilyn Manson, my favorite David Lynch interview was like the Lost Highway scenes with Marilyn Manson, who was not an actor and was worried like, hey, did I do that wrong? F*** it. We'll fix it in post. You're great. <laughs> Scene. We'll, we'll fix it later. Don't worry about it. Because uh, Marilyn Manson was really nervous, like, oh, God, this David Lynch. Like, <laughs> David Lynch made Marilyn Manson nervous. He's the nicest guy in the world. <laughs> well, um, uh, unless you, you're an, a pretentious film interviewer, I've heard some, there's some famous Lynch interviews you can watch on YouTube that went wrong. Yeah. What do your films mean? Why the f*** am I here? Did you really <laughs> just ask me that? <laughs> Did I just come out from under a rock? Do you know who I am? Well, no, no. I was just wanting to get, f*** you. You know, it's like, <laughs> wow, David Lynch could get really angry with people. <laughs> I mean, that was probably like his 100th interview for the day because even though it seems like actors have cushy jobs and stuff and it's like, well, that's, I love, I would, I would love to get paid millions of dollars to pretend. Uh, no, there, there's there nothing are... cushy about making movies. It always seems like that's <laughs> really hard work. <laughs> But nothing's worse than doing like the interview circuit, because uh, you're, I'm, because it's like, I'm not sure if it's just in, it's probably it's probably included in the contract, but essentially it's like, well, I got my paycheck, 
but I'm still on the hook for all this garbage to promote the movie. Yeah. Well, I don't think like, he. I don't, I don't think he minds like, like fans will ask him like just come up. I've seen these videos like fans will ask him. So he's really cool. I don't think he yeah. minds that, but I think it's like there's a level of pretension and like I am an artiste stuff that really bugs him. Yeah. Which is like oh, that's why I appreciate his movies because like. It's like this isn't this only means what it means to you, the viewer. I don't care if you like if you don't get this out of it. Well, cool. That's like, you know, your problem. But that's also like the same level of outrage that like Billy Bob Thornton would get every time he was like on the road with his band and people just want to talk about movies. And it's like we agreed ahead of time. We're not going to talk about my movies. We're going to talk about the band. And then he just blows up on them. Well, I, I like that about Billy Bob Thornton, because if mm. I was just talking because I also like Billy Bob Thornton's music, some of it is just kind of weird and fun. And it's like, yeah, if you're just talking about his, don't ask him about his movies. He doesn't want you to do that. I don't think he's being the dick there. It's like you're just being aggressive with a guy who literally has a pile of fuck you money. It's like, why are you trying to <laughs> piss this guy off? Because you know what he's going to do. He's not going to be like, oh, you're the one guy that's going to show me like, oh, the error of my ways. And I'm just going to talk about my movies, even though I got the whole band here and been working <laughs> our asses off on this shit. <laughs> You ever listen to Billy Bob Thornton music? No. It's actually kind of fun. You should do it. He's got like whole <laughs> albums you can just download. Um, I when did I start? What was that movie that uh, about the musician? It was a really sad movie called Lost Heart, or I forget who was in it. The dude was in it. You know that guy, uh, Jeff Bridges? Oh. No, no, no. Um, yeah, Jeff. Uh, yeah, that's the that's the dude. He was a country music singer. His name was like Bad Blake or something. He was one of these crazy country music guys. But he was so self-destructive, he never made it beyond B-level celebrity status. Yeah. What's it called? Crazy Heart? Cra yep, Crazy Heart. Okay. Yeah, listening to the music and that is where I discovered Billy Bob Thornton's like, you know, country blues type music. And it's like, it's offbeat, it's, it, but I, I enjoy it. Because I, Billy Bob Thornton's a kind of weirdo. It's like, I like that guy. Yeah, you know, I don't ever want to meet him or emulate him or anything. It's like I just like that guy. I like that guy's around. That's fun. Don't meet your heroes and don't meet your weirdos. No, I don't want to meet my heroes. Um, I, I I've been friends with literary liter, liter, literary heroes of mine online, and it's like, oh, I don't like these people in real life. I, I just like their books. I don't want to know about them, and they don't uh, want to know about me, so I can respect that. <laughs> Jeffrey and Sandy like catch up. I think they were like in high school or vaguely high school together. Yeah, he would have been a senior when she was a sophomore. Okay. Jeffrey's home from school because his dad had a stroke or whatever. Uh, or it's just convenient that he happened at the same time. I'm Unidentified sure. medical condition is how the notes and everything, <laughs> I, all the research I did on this movie described it. So, because, you know, Sandy's in the same house as Detective Williams, she has basically overheard every detail of the case that he did not tell her. And so she's going to tell him what's going on. <laughs> and he's enticed by this. It's like, oh, good. Because, like, the detective is like, yeah, we don't need any private investigation here. Like, your role is done here. He's like, okay. Which is what cops so, would actually tell you. It's like, yeah. <laughs> thank you. We don't need the mystery machine driving around town. Uh, so Sandy and Jeffrey go to the uh, like a suspect's apartment on Lincoln Street. I believe, I believe it's on Lincoln Street. I'm yes, sure. it is. Uh, they kind of just hang out for a bit, and you know they're kind of like, "Hey, what should we do about this?" And then we cut to the next day. Jeffrey's working at the hardware store that his that his family owns, 
he's setting up a bug spray or something, and it ends up being bug spray. So. <laughs> I'm not sure he's putting in it, though. <laughs> I hope it's not bug spray for his sake. <laughs> well, he said it was a special formula that, that it doesn't smell, so I'm thinking it's just water, but, you know, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> he is mixing something. <laughs> bug, sprays are, uh, bug, spray. bug spray is a lethal poison, so... <laughs> Jeffrey picks up Sandy at school. I don't know, Nathan, do you have a, did you, what's this car? <laughs> uh, I'm looking it up right now because okay. I had the link saved and then, I don't know, it crapped out on me. So they're starting their teen investigative adventure, although, yes. you know, only one of them's a teen, but you know, <laughs> that's what's going on here. This is a lighthearted investigation, high school investigation. They hang out at the diner. Jeffrey lays out the plan to like sneak into the, suspected lady's apartment uh but here, here he lays out the plan that he's going to pose as like pest control and then sandy's going to pose as a jehovah's witness as a distraction so he can like leave a, crack a window <laughs> that's his plan okay the hero car is a 73 delta 88 royale convertible oh okay <laughs> hey the uh the the evil the, the sam raimi car is a delta 88 but that's not a convertible <laughs> yeah Oh, this one was only made for two years. Oh, okay. Uh, we got to the Deep River Apartments. Uh, this is where Jeffrey and Sandy are going to run the ruse. Uh, it's Dorothy Valens, who's played by Isabella Russolini, who is a captivating and mysterious Italian woman. <laughs> so it was a muse for David Lynch during this time. I think they were in a relationship. Uh, okay. By the time that I don't know if it was when this movie ended filming or while it was going on, but. They were a, they were a couple for a few years. <laughs> well, also I didn't know because as Dino De Laurentiis, I was like, you got to put some Italian person in here, and this is the one David Lynch chose. I didn't know if that was going to be a thing here, but yeah, you know, uh, if he had it, if he had, if he was forced to choose some an Italian actress to put in the movie, he chose the best one. Oh yeah, she's beautiful. <laughs> well, and she just pulls off weird and disconcerting very well too. So. Yeah. range of emotions with her uh very brave <laughs> uh her character yeah her character is dorothy valen she lives on the seventh floor uh the, the elevator is out of order so he's got to go up the stairs which is one of those weird things where it's like you have to go up you have to like he has to like go outside to almost like a different building to take stairs up to the build the apartment I don't know how that stuff works out. Yeah, there's weird stuff like that. So it's probably an old building and they, you know, forced by codes. Like, well, people got to get out of here with a fire. And so then they got to build like a staircase on the outside of it. So. Oh, I'm sorry. Isabella uh, Rossellini was was married to Martin Scorsese. <laughs> <laughs> and was, uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. I don't think she married. Yeah, she was married to Martin Scorsese and then Jonathan Wiederman. Um, and she was with David Lynch and then Gary Oldman. Oh, that's this chick must be fascinating. <laughs> he gets to the apartment, he knocks, and Dorothy uh, lets him in. There's like red carpets and red walls. And oh, this Dorothy is the amazing, like one of the things I love about David Lynch movies: the great interiors, <laughs> like uh, like apartment color schemes and apartment carpet schemes that would literally make you psychotic if you tried to <laughs> like i'm gonna live in this in real life it, it, it's it's like that's it's one of the things i love about david lynch movies are the interiors it's like you would never because i have a you know my wife is really into like colors and interiors and stuff and 
I've showed her David Lynch movies before, and we've talked about it. And she's like, yeah, that would be insane to live in something like that dark. <laughs> like, there's shadows in bright daylight in those buildings <laughs> uh, because of the way it's painted, the way the carpet is. And, it's know. the cabinet of Dr. Caligari in here. <laughs> oh, I've wanted to do this room. Like, if I ever redid this room, it's like I either want to make it look like the interiors from the movie Stalker. Uh, I, I want to make my room look sepia in real life, or I want to do like a David Lynch, uh, uh, Mulholland Drive, like Lost Highway, or this, you know, interior. And it's like, no, the answer is always a strong no. It's like you'll commit suicide in that room, Nathan. It's crazy. So she might be on. Uh, uh, the the red room's a thing in Twin Peaks, right? Yes. So is this the original Red Room? <laughs> well, again, this was a Twin Peaks prototype film. So, yeah, yeah. probably. This was Twin Peaks beta. Oh, I, know, I know I know. Twin Peaks is a collective effort, so we, it's, it's easy to associate all the good things about Twin Peaks with David Lynch, but it was a collective effort. You know, there is a co-creator with, the, with that, but... Yeah, but we know, but we know most of the magic comes from David Lynch. Well, yeah, the Mark Frost part of that was like, I can get you the money to make this weird <laughs> stuff. That's that was the that was the that, and that's the hardest part of a David Lynch. Like I said, I if I imagine myself working with David Lynch as an actor, it's like, oh, I can deliver dialogue in a stilted, weird way and like maintain eye contact too long while someone is like burst into flames in the background like that's cool if i have to sell this to funders it's like i'm gonna have a nervous breakdown <laughs> like, no one's going for this man you can't sell coke in this but you can't sell heineken <laughs> budweiser and paps blue ribbon <laughs> or not i don't know um there's a knock at the door he's going to spray around in the kitchen uh there's a knock at the door this you know you, you expect this to be Sandy running the distraction, but then someone unexpected in a yellow suit shows up. Curious uh, George's here. buddy shows up. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, Jeffrey spots some keys and he just grabs them and then he leaves. <laughs> so yeah, Jeffrey he spots plans some keys though, hanging on a hook underneath a cabinet like it that would be a waste level for most people. Yeah, it's like the weirdest place to keep keys ever. But it's like, oh, okay, I know who, who, what film am I watching? Okay, <laughs> that's one of those things you build it so like the audience will know from a distance, yeah. and like, hey, but it doesn't actually make any sense. No, but because it's a David Lynch film, that's kind of like a built-in process. Like it doesn't have to make sense; it just has to be noticeable. But, so yeah, Jeffrey goes. Uh, yeah, he's talking. He's back outside. He was with Sandy. Uh, he's gonna plan to break in on Friday. Sandy says she has a date. Uh, but then Sandy says she's going to stand up Mike, which is her boyfriend uh, in high school. And he's yes. a football player, but we don't learn that till later. So that, no, in the meantime, they plan on going to the club where Dorothy sings at. So we cut to, is this called the slow club? Yes. Is that the name of it? The slow okay, club. So... <laughs> uh, Jeffrey Lynch, and Sandy... uh, I'm sorry, Twin Peaks season three. Think of that club. Yeah. It's like a club in this like hick, you know logging town that has like the best like alt rock acts from the you know, <laughs> 2000s and 2010s are playing at this club to a cast of or to an audience of 10 it's this is amazing yeah. um yeah when yeah, the people the best, were doing the, the axolotl song seen. yeah yeah it's the guy's music you've never heard i've heard of it but <laughs> Uh, Jeffrey and Sandy are drinking. When you've got the Lord, you know it's like, yeah, you don't play that music in a small town. 
I mean, yeah, it's like Blues Brothers last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they should be throwing beer bottles at them. Exactly, yeah. They should be in Kokomo, Indiana. Um, we play both country and western music here. A <laughs> little different at the David Lynch Club. But I would go to the David we Lynch Club. We play sadness and other sadness. Yeah. We can play sadness and dissociation all at the same time. Come on in. <laughs> what the f um uh jeffrey and zandy are drinking heineken so clearly no one checked ids or because <laughs> presumably they're both underage i mean yeah maybe jeffrey could be 21 but you know if he's a sophomore in college it's like he's either 20 or 21 i'm betting either so you know well let me tell you from growing up like kind when i was like um Okay, when I was like 16 to 21 in the rural Midwest, like you had to have in the part of the Midwest I lived in, it's like, oh, you had to have a runner or know someone's dad who would buy you booze or whatever. However, when like I moved to the big city and raised my son here around Detroit, it's like, ah, you can get booze anytime, anywhere. It's like, <laughs> well, I'm glad that's working out for you, son. Uh, <laughs> for me, it was more like the hero's journey. You know, you had, to, you had to like find people and make connections. It's like you just had to join a fraternity. And it's like, yeah, he's with us. Go ahead, buy all you want. <laughs> so, yeah, when I see underage drinking like this, you know, kind of from where I live now, it's like absolutely that would happen. Which is it's probably why people become alcoholics and addicted to smoking is because when they're young they went on an adventure to get alcohol. That's and exactly what happened to me. You're right. I don't smoke anymore, but you know I can't deny the fact that I well, still drink. I was like, well, when I was, you know, because I naively it's like, oh, I'm not supposed to drink, so I didn't. I'm not supposed to smoke, so I didn't. But like all like a bunch of my friends smoke and drink even around me. Like you want some? Like no, I'm good. And they would tell me stories of the adventure of getting this. Uh, I, I remember one time they're on a phone with somebody trying to buy a hundred dollars worth of like we like a pound of weed, a brick of weed. And he's like, "Do you want to get on in this?" And like, no. For what purpose? <laughs> to what end? Ah, <laughs> uh, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I never went much smart farther than cigarettes and booze. So. <laughs> and really i just like cigarettes and booze because it put me in like a, a frame of mind i enjoyed yeah um, it wasn't to like establish anything it's like oh i just love nicotine and oh sorry <laughs> liquor and um but you know i had to give up nicotine because like the downside of that is really bad uh <laughs> liquor i'm i'm still in the camp i'm still on team booze but that's because it seems like you know because i live in a state where there's like legal weed for the last decade I still have one of those lame-o jobs where I can't use weed because <laughs> everyone else around me is like, hey, you want some edibles? You want some weed? It's like, no, I can't. It's like, why not? I get a drug test, and they laugh at me like, what are you, an FBI agent, a cop? I was like, no, I drive a forklift for a car company. It's like, oh, they still do that there? But all these guys I know, they use it there. It's like, yeah, they do, and they're risking their pension by doing it. It's like – I. You know, there's a reason I don't do that stuff, and it's not because I'm a teetotaler. It's because I still have one of those dumbass jobs where it's like, oh, if you pop, fail a drug test, like, goodbye. Kiss the last <laughs> 20 years of your life. Goodbye. <laughs> but, yeah, so I never got to uh, 
but the le- uh, the amount of intoxication and, and how it goes on like around here versus where I grew up in Indiana is like, oh, this is compl- this is like Europe in Michigan. It's like, oh yeah, anything <laughs> goes, whatever you want to do. Because I remember you used to like you could get arrested. They would call it like, um, oh, like consuming, like minor consumption of alcohol or something. Like it was like a it wasn't a felony, but it was like a bad misdemeanor to have as a person under the age of 21 where here it's like go home just don't drive you know they don't they don't give a here they don't care if you're drunk and you're 16 years old it's like as long as you're not driving a car it's not our problem oh that's a completely different attitude but then you realize like oh no one here goes to church or believes in god or anything and it's like yeah if you've grown up and you know lived in the metro detroit area for the last 50 years like you don't believe there's any salvation after this so drink up because because I've been in class the last year, and you know it's like I'm the old guy <laughs> in the class. Actually, I wasn't. I was the next old guy. But anyways, you know it's like all these guys come to high school, and then like the teacher, because he's been teaching essentially kids just out of high school for the last ten years. <laughs> he's like, and people are talking about drinking stories, and they're clearly not twenty one. He's say, hey, hey, let me see your fake ID, <laughs> and then like three people whip him out. It's like, yeah, I'm twenty one in Minnesota, and I just got to remember my my birth date on that card and stuff like this. That's all you need. <laughs> yes, I I remember someone close to me once, uh, recently. Well, with a couple years, it was like telling me like where they were in you know, Ann Arbor, which is like a city close to me, and it's like. Oh yeah, we were there, and I was like, "How were you there?" It's like, "Oh, I'm this person from Ohio, and this is my birth date." And they showed me a driver's license. I was like, "That's gotta be a felony." Like, how did you get? No, no, it's just you know they were doing it here, and it was only like fifty bucks. It's like, wow, okay. I said, "Please don't have that in your wallet." Uh, I said, "Do you you realize like what a to me that's like." Oh, if you have an identity that says you're someone else from another state, like that's got to be a felony or something. Like that can't be good. But it's like, no, it's just for drinking. I'm not getting car loans or something with it. I was like, all right, I guess you know more about this world than I. Do. I've become an old person now, where it's like, don't do that. That's bad. The Book of Ecclesiastes says, like, okay, well, have fun. At least that's just don't drive drunk. That my that, that's my only thing. Don't drive drunk whatever else you want to do great but yeah anyway uh, the, the mc comes out and he says ladies and gentlemen the blue lady miss dorothy valens and then she and then we have the isabella Rossellini version of blue velvet which is very sultry and sad <laughs> she actually sings yeah which is cool uh and because they know hey that's dorothy valen uh, she's pretty good we now know she's here so let's take off and break into a apartment yeah <laughs> Uh, so they pull out the Dorothy's knowing she won't be there. Jeffrey's leaving the car um, with Sandy, and he tells her to take off. And then Sandy says she'll stay till Dorothy gets back and, like, honk the horn f- four times and say, like, yeah, they're coming in. Uh, Jeffrey this goes is where Heineken door. plays a role in the movie. What's that? Remember, they were drinking Heineken. Yeah. And then he goes into the apartment. Oh, and yes, yes, yes. Drank yes. so much Heineken, <laughs> he has to take a leak, and he doesn't hear – the horn honking because when he flushes the toilet it like takes 20 minutes for the tank to refill and it sounds like a fire truck refilling it so he also he also says out loud heineken yep <laughs> so, uh, almost has a product placement even though it gets them in trouble so. 
Somebody <laughs> said that like, and I don't know. Again, this is like somebody like reading into David Lynch, like a you know, and it's like, oh, he resented the fact that he had to capitulate to certain things to get funding for this movie. So he did pseudo product placement with Heineken Budweiser. You don't hear about the Budweiser unless you watch the extended version of this. Uh, but it's it's Heineken and Pabst Blue Ribbon. And everyone thinks like, oh, they got paid to put that in the movie. And I guess they didn't. But it was kind of <laughs> like his middle finger to like having to commercialize his movies. I don't know <laughs> if that's true or not, though. He's never said. So that yeah. could be just like somebody's thought. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe he has a separation of church and state thing there because he does do commercials. Yeah, he makes people. money doing. He does cool <laughs> commercials, or he did cool commercials too. He um, also does normal movies, but not at the time. Not 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 before this movie came out. I mean, he's not really done like two normal movies. Yeah, but they're kind of cool to watch. Like this is yeah. a David Lynch movie. Yeah, all, like, all his movies are worth watching. I mean, the, like I think like. Oh, is it Straight Story? Is that the one where it's like the person with a tractor driving to meet their brother who's like had a heart attack? Yeah. Like that one's not overtly weird. It's actually more of like a Disney movie, but it's just directed by David Lynch. But Yeah, but but it's cool to watch because you, yeah, like, yeah. you know it's a David Lynch movie. You go into it like, I want to see a David Lynch movie. And you're like, it's not a David Lynch movie, but it's like, this is still a really good movie. Which to <laughs> me, like, oh, it proves he can do it. Like yeah. yeah, he can do it. He's just choosing to make you know, Blue Velvet and Dune and Elephant Man and Eraserhead. Uh, Jeffrey's at the door. He's also like spying around to make sure nobody's around. Of course, you never see anybody in the hallway that's like a that lives in this. It's only visitors that are in this hallway. Yeah. He knocks at the door to make sure like nobody's in there. He tries one of the keys, but then like it doesn't work. The one of the keys doesn't work, but the other key does. So who knows what that other keys do? That's for your imagination. Unless there's two locks in the door, I don't know. <laughs> he lurks around the apartment in the dark. And here he goes to take a piss, and then he says Heineken. And like, yeah, like Nathan just said, the flushing covers up the noise of Sandy honking the horn. Uh, the light switch turns on, and then Jeffrey's like in the middle of like the living room. So there's kind of like a corner, so the door doesn't directly show. You can't see anybody directly from the door. There's like a little hallway that's like blocking uh, vision of the uh, living room. Yeah. Uh, so he has time to dart for the uh, uh, closet and hides in there. Uh, he can like the closet has like kind of slits so he can see through the blinds, kind of, which is a common thing in movies. I don't know if this is the oh, that had to be a Hitchcock or something, but like hiding in the closet, looking through the, the the slits in the closet door, that's like a that's like a a very common thing in movies. I don't know if it started here. If that was just a thing. It's also a lot of music videos and too. So. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like rear window without like, uh, you know, it, it's more like it's, it's, it's voyeuristic, but it's, it's, uh, it, it, cause the thing with this movie is like, Oh, is the Kyle McLaughlin character a pervert or a hero? Like, you don't know, uh, you, you know what you want to believe, but you know, uh, so yeah, she's she's she gets in the apartment and she like undresses into her underwear. The phone rings. We hear it's Frank is on the other end, but we don't know who Frank is yet. And we, we can kind of construe that like he maybe kidnapped her child. Yeah. <laughs> she like writhes around and then she like just like kind of like sits up and takes her wig off. So that's also just weird and disconcerting. It's like wasn't expecting that. It's like uh, then she she's kind of like off in the corner. She gets naked and then she grabs a blue robe. Uh, out of the closet that Jeffrey's in. So he kind of just like hides in the corner of the closet and she doesn't see him. 
But then when she sits on the couch, she hears a noise, and then she goes and grabs a knife. She opens a closet, and then she holds up Jeffrey with a knife. Uh, she turns the tables and makes him get undressed so she can watch him get undressed. Uh, she pulls his underwear down. She's like, starts kissing around his crotch, uh, saying not to look or touch her. Uh, they go to the couch and they're like making out a bit. You know, this is all very weird. But yeah, like... there's nothing sexy about this, which is why <laughs> yeah. I like this. Because you, you know, because most weirdos would be like, "Ooh, this is hot," but it's like, though, this is desperate. Yeah, this is like all based out of fear, and, and, and nobody, nobody's in the right here. No, nobody's <laughs> right. Everyone's wrong. He's wrong. She's wrong. Uh, there's a knock at the door, and she shoves him back in the closet. Here's where Frank, Frank is it Frank Booth, I think is his name. Yes, uh, it's played by Dennis Hopper. He shows up, and he's like, "Hello, baby," or no, she says, "Hello, baby," and he's like, gets mad. It's like, "It's Daddy," and where's my bourbon <laughs> she gets some bourbon. yeah let's talk about frank booth for a minute because he's like my favorite character in this movie <laughs> because he seems to be like uh what would i call him the embodiment of oh uh, like vulgarity and stupidity yeah like because because he's like well not stupidity it's like he's the embodiment of vulgarity and this like out of control um, violence like he's yeah. bold vulgarity <laughs> yeah because he doesn't really have like because number he's one this is a dennis hopper confident with no skills <laughs> yeah this is dennis hopper performance so it's always turned up to 11 that's what you get with dennis hopper regardless of what what whatever script you write for dennis hopper it's always going to be dennis hopper which is cool i like dennis hopper roles but it's like this guy is is like this is the weirdest Dennis Hopper ever. <laughs> Frank sits down on the couch drinking his bourbon, and she's sitting in a chair, and he commands her to spread her legs and, like, show it to me. Uh, and then he tells her not to look at him. So, you know, this is, like, uh, this is where he realizes, oh, this is what he does to her, so that's why she was doing the weird stuff to, God, to uh, yeah. Jeffrey. It's like, yeah, oh, She's okay, like so a this... sex uh, victim or something. What would you call that? Yeah. An abuse victim or, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, which I actually learned that I, uh, you know, the term trauma bonding. No, that sounds oh, okay. dark and weird. What's trauma bonding? Well, I, what I would immediately interpret it, it sounds like something it's like, you know, like bonding. It's like a shared experience. So it's like it seems like something it's like, oh, we both experienced a trauma. And so we bonded over it. And you know, we had it. But that's actually not what it means. It's basically just when someone is abused by somebody and then they kind of lose all self-confidence and they basically demand uh, to be told everything and they get their satisfaction from their abuser. And that's what trauma bonding is. Oh, like they weird. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly and, what you, this is then what you described. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, um, so yeah, but like on its surface, it sounds like, like, Oh, we shared a horrible experience together, but no, it's just an abusive relationship. Yeah. Where, People. It was a horrible experience instigated by one of the two people involved. Yes. It's like it didn't have no, to there's, happen. There's not there's not equals here. It's an uh, unequal relationship. And yeah, they they demand basically satisfaction or any or any kind of they can't they can only do things if their abuser tells them to do that. So yeah, it's abuse what they call it, abusive relationships. <laughs> yeah. Um here's where like Frank starts huffing the oxygen tank that from a mask 
and the tank is like on his hip, which we didn't see. So this gets extra weird. It's just like just it's like whole... no country for old men before it happened. <laughs> only he's not yeah. using a, a cattle gun. He's he's inhaling. Uh, according <laughs> to Dennis Hopper on the commentary, it was it was amyl nitrate. But oh, in the okay. movie, it's never said what it is. Oh, I thought it was just oxygen or whatever. But okay. uh, it's some kind of seventies drug. Like, amyl nitrate oh. was something. It was called Rush in the 70s. It was something you inhaled like you broke those capsules and, you know, the things that wake you up if you get punched in the face and you're unconscious. Yeah, smelling salts. Yeah, okay. So it was something like it was delivered that way, but it was something that really got you like up, like, you know, <laughs> like your heart would just be jacked, like kind of like cocaine or something, but it was a gas. <laughs> so your heart would just be like, pow, pow, like you could, your eyes would like wobble. Your heart would be pounding so hard. So. But that's what Dennis Hopper said it was. It's unidentified in the movie. It's not, you know. Because when I first watched this movie, I thought, oh, is this guy a smoker and has some kind of, like, (laughs) oxygen thing that he has to do when he gets before he goes crazy because he needs the extra oxygen? But according to Dennis Hopper, it was amyl nitrate. Well, it's just a real interesting, like, character operation. Like, we need to do this. And it's just, like, it's very very identifiable. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i think of bane and like the later you know and then like uh, uh was it batman uh yeah what is it uh batman rises or dark, yeah yeah rising yeah yeah it's like um, this was bane before it was cool <laughs> but here he like his, his attitude changed he starts saying mommy and then we have the the, the famous slide of baby wants to f- <laughs> Well, there's two, like, distinct personas here. There's baby and daddy. Because daddy wants the bourbon, and it's like, call me daddy. And it's like, show it to me. And and he's talking about our genitals. And, like, that's daddy. And then, like, and then it's baby. And then, like, baby wants to f***. And it's like a a ritual rape. But there's no actual sex. Because we're assuming, like, Frank can't actually have sex for probably because he's jamming amyl nitrate. (laughs) <laughs> but it's violent and hitting it's like don't look at my eyes you know but it's done at that dennis hopper level of like this is scary like if, you, also, if like, you actually you know, met a guy like this you'd be like oh get get, get me the f- away from this guy <laughs> this is well not- he's also like saying mommy is like is she supposed to be playing mommy is there some weird incest angle here and it's all up for you to decide <laughs> yeah it's up so. to you no this guy's nuts i mean <laughs> the problem is this guy's i mean ultimately what i this is what nathan gets out of it this guy's a psychopath, and like a lot of psychopaths, they don't really feel emotions the way the rest of us do, so everything has to be extreme. It's like in the most extreme version, he would strangle her to death and then it, through her death feel like some kind of emotion. But in this case, because he's not the most extreme kind of psychopath, he's just happy to abuse her and do role-playing. But yeah, this is a guy who can't feel anything. And so he's hampered as a human being, which makes him even more dangerous because he's got guns. He leads a gang. He's a drug dealer. <laughs> he's the insects under the ground from the beginning <laughs> scene. You know, this is the underworld um, in Lumberton, North Carolina. <laughs> Population 19,000. <laughs> in a live band. Before. <laughs> uh, he hits her when she looks at him. Uh, he's also said, baby wants blue velvet. And so... She has the blue velvet robe, and he like she stuffs the bit of the robe in his mouth. Uh, then he throws her down, and he like starts snipping scissors at her. And there was like the the guy the coroner said something like, "Oh, the ear was snipped off with scissors." So it was yeah. like, "Oh, this is these are these are the scissors that cut the ear off." 
And then, and then there's some dry humping, more hitting for looking at him. Uh, and then Frank leaves and says something like, do it for Van Gogh, which I'm guessing, you know, because he cut the ear off. That's like the, the reference for that. Yeah, so. that's what I got out of that. <laughs> uh, Jeffrey comes out of the closet to, like, console Dorothy because he's never f- seen anything like this no i mean i haven't seen anything like this in, in 2023 so in 1986 is like oh this is crazy she has very conflicted feelings and so she has to be held and then she demands to be hit but jeffrey refuses and then he gets dressed uh he says he's leaving but then she's like whispering don't and help me <laughs> yeah which is you know disconcerting and we like what do i do with this and then, like, oh, earlier she grabbed a, a photo underneath the couch, and so he goes and grabs it and looks at it. It's a picture of her kid. There's, like, a marriage certificate. I think it says Donald Watts. That's her husband. Yeah. Um, and then Jeffrey has, like, a skewed re- recollection of everything that just happened. Like, literally, like, there's, there's, like, weird framing and, like, stuff on the screen, and it's, like, slanted and stuff like that. We cut to Jeffrey meets with Sandy in his car. As, as they park it in front of a church so this is like a drive through confessional <laughs> uh, Jeffrey explains Dorothy's dire situation and she's just or he's just like it's a strange world <laughs> um, which like comes up uh, from that point on more often in the movie and then uh, we cut to Jeffrey goes to see Dorothy again to see if he can help but he's also like seeking sex because like because Sandy basically vaguely rebuked him, is like, yeah, I'm gonna go hang out with Mike. He's my actual boyfriend. You're not. You're not. That. So now Jeffrey's like, well, I get sex from this like absolutely wounded lady, and it's like that's a that's where it's like I had this idea where it's like, oh, it's like Jeffrey and Incel. Is that he's like, I help, I open the door for you. Where's my blowjob? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of weird. It was like Jeffrey, a total innocent, now is like, oh, he's in the underworld. Yeah, it's like if this continues in a year from now, Jeffrey's gonna be like hitting a tank, like baby wants to. Fuck. It's like, <laughs> what happened, Jeffrey? Uh, <laughs> all he did, he did it all for sex, like sex for everything. All it, yeah, everything, everything is explained by the the uh, what is it? The ego and the id. Like the id is the darkness. That's Frank Booth, and Jeffrey yeah. becomes the darkness of the. I'm talk. I'm doing pretentious film talk now, but that's uh, yeah. But it's all brought about by his desire for sex, which presumably would like I don't know. Would you say Jeffrey's a virgin? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, well, only because I've seen like the extra. This movie was originally four hours, okay. And the DVD I have what was uh, came out in 2016 with a bunch of extra scenes. He had a college girlfriend that dumped him before he went back to town. Okay. You're not going to know that from watching the standard edition, <laughs> but yeah. It, uh, yeah, that's okay. he's not a virgin, but sex is very important to him, and he's doing crazy things because <laughs> it's like essentially he's going here. It's like, can I help the lady? And she's like, yeah, you can help me. It's like, can I get some sex? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> it's, and it's just, and it's not constructive. That's not helping anything. It's just, he's just, he's, he thinks like, well, she's allowing this, so it's okay. But no, he's actually hurting the victim that he's trying to help while doing this. So. Uh, but yeah, you know, he's naive, innocent, so he doesn't know what the f- he's doing. He's not involving authorities like he did the right because everything before this, he's doing the right thing. They told him like, and now it's up to the police. And the police say like, even like he says like, this is a fascinating job, isn't it? And then he's like, yeah, but it's also terrible. 
<laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, I mean, my experience with this is like, as far as like psychosexual relationships between men and women is, is like limited and normal. <laughs> so when I try to put myself as like a, you know, almost 50 year old man in, in like this guy's shoes, it's like, oh, I just run out of the room screaming. <laughs> Much like the jokes I made earlier about like, oh, if anyone suggested a, a threesome to me, even at this point in my life, I'd be like, ah, I'd just flee the room because <laughs> it would seem so bizarre and and like hopeless and desperate to me. It's like, yeah, all the stuff between him and Isabella Rossellini, it seems like. To me, as an older guy, I could see like as a 20 year old man, it's like, ooh, this is fascinating. Yeah. But to me, as an older guy, it's like, oh, run away. There is something <laughs> so wrong here. You've seen it. Yeah. And and it's like, no, it hit me. It's like, oh, whoa, no, we're not doing this because <laughs> to me, nothing good. Like that doesn't sound good to me. But it's also like, you know, I'm not an abused person either, so I don't have that mentality. Whereas if, like, someone suggested that, like, oh, hit me during sex, I would probably laugh out loud, like, what, are you kidding? But to them it would be, like, real serious because, like, oh, this means something, which is, like, that's the sadness and the horror of abused people. It's like, no, it would mean something to her, something important. Like, because she smiles. Like, yeah, it's, this is how I know you care. And it's like, that's crazy. <laughs> And I've known people that are in relationships not quite that on the nose, but it's like, oh, he doesn't. When he yells at me and screams and throws dinner against the wall, that's how I know he really cares. It's like, whoa, that no, that doesn't. There's nothing caring about that. That's just evil. But you know, that goes back to his childhood. Can I tell you about his childhood? It's like, what are you talking about? No, I just need to, in my own shallow way, know need to know this guy cares about me. And it's just like, this is why I don't have friends. <laughs> because everyone's nuts. But yeah, so this movie is like very relatable and very weird at the same time. Oh, the key word to trauma bonding I was forgetting is validation. They seek validation from their abusers. So that's, and that's the only way they can get validation is from their abusers. So. Yeah. Uh, and here she's trying to create a new Frank that she can control. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's an S&M Frank that like she turns the tables. Uh, they cut to the slow club. Dorothy's singing Blue Velvet again. Jeffrey spots Frank in the crowd, and Frank looks like a normal person here. Like he's yeah. got like, like a like he's he's not in like his he doesn't have like his his leather coat and stuff. He's just got like a flannel shirt on, and he seems weird. And it's, then they reveal the lock of Blue Velvet from her robe, and that's when it's like, okay, he's still weird. <laughs> yeah, he's like holding it and like rubbing it, kind of or something. It's it's like it's weird. Yeah, yeah. But but he's also bathed in a blue light. Yeah. And he's looking at her like, you know, it's a, Dennis <laughs> Hopper's a nut, so. <laughs> but he almost has, like, more innocent eyes in the scene. That's why I'd, like, say he, like, almost looks normal. Because, um, yeah, I mean, that's the scary thing about Frank Booth is, like, you feel sorry for him at the same time as, like, oh, this guy's scary. Like, I don't like this guy, and I also feel sorry for him. I, 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 maybe I didn't explain it. So we need to know this detail, but, like, in the first scene with Frank, he, like, dry humps her to some sort of completion or whatever before he leaves. But he doesn't actually, like, like there's no penetrative sex or anything like that, but it's everything. <laughs> but it's just as worse, so. Yeah, it's just weird. Yeah. Uh, Frank and his cronies take off in a muscle car, which is, is, is a Dodge Charger. <laughs> yeah. 68 uh, Dodge Charger. Okay. Uh, Jeffrey follows them to some, like, industrial part of the city. 
Um, it's, it's Frank Booth. That's where he learned his full name. It cuts to morning. Jeffrey like staked out <laughs> Frank's place. Like literally just hung out in the car the whole time. Jeffrey picks up Sandy. Uh, she's like, wait, keep going because her boyfriend, Mike is like having football practice nearby and he can see them. But then he's like, Oh, never mind. And then she, she takes off with Jeffrey. And then you see Mike like distraught, <laughs> like, like Sandy, <laughs> like why? Um, cause even though they haven't like done anything yet, it's like, clearly we know this, where this is going. Uh, they go to Arlene's diner again to talk about the, he tells her about the case. This is where we cut to like him completing the stakeout he has like some sort of like shoebox camera yeah for like clandestine evidence gathering where he has like a weird string and it's like completely unnecessary but i guess he's not literally holding a camera up taking pictures but it's but he's like moving like in a weird way like pull the shutter back or or pull the the lens cover back and then click the shutter and it's like yeah, that's kind of weirdly, uh, you know, that's another weird thing that's going on. Just a weird specific. It's yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, there was a drug dealer that was shot to death, and there's some lady who's like, m- has like a mango leg on the ground, like it's turned backwards or whatever. Yeah, it's like she, yeah, it's just like a family guy fall down the stairs lady. Uh, <laughs> it's apparently she got thrown off out of the window or jumped out of the window during the shootout but see none of the really like violence like criminal violence in this movie is ever it's always like after the fact or it's shown intermittently and it's like oh it has no relation to anything else going on yeah so here jeffrey kisses sandy she kind of takes it indifferently and then she's like She's like okay with it, but then she's also like moving on. <laughs> like, let's, let's get I'd back be to so you. sad if I kissed Laura Dern and that's how she reacted. <laughs> uh, we cut to night. Jeffrey goes back to Dorothy's apartment. He's looking for sex again. There's an ominous window with like red curtains. Yep. Um, you don't know if Frank's behind those curtains. <laughs> uh, they're having sex, and she's asking for him to hurt her, but she he refuses. Uh, and he he says that like she should go to the police, and then here she flips out. And now Jeffrey like slaps and backhands her, and like this is to her delight. Yeah. Uh, which I are they cutting on like, are they cutting into her teeth because now it's chipped or something like that, or is that just how her teeth are? That's just how her teeth are. I think it's oh, okay. just to show that she has like this toothy smile. Like, yeah, he does care. <laughs> I can I can love this man, which is like really disturbing and weird because he's like slapped yeah. her. It's like whoa. Yeah. Um, Jeffrey leaves the apartment. Frank and his gang see Jeffrey leaving, so Frank interrogates. Um, Frank wants him to take a take a ride with them. We cut to uh, Frank's Dodge Charger. Everybody's crammed in the Charger. There's like eight people in this Charger. Yeah, that would be like a hideous ride, too. <laughs> uh, including Dorothy in her blue robe. Brad Dorif is one of the gang. Yeah, <laughs> he's just the guy with the knife. Uh, if you don't know Brad Dorf's another weird. He was a he was a Dune as well, wasn't he? Yes, he was through for how or no, um, Peter DeVries. Okay, yeah, uh, but he's also probably most famous for being the voice of Chucky, I believe. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, Frank has a police scanner that'll be he's like, you know, well you know he's a bad guy, so he's making he's keeping tabs on the cops because he's doing illegal stuff all the time. Yep. Uh, they stop at some weird bar because it looks like the outside of a bar, but the inside looks like a house. But like if a house was designed after like a waiting room for a dentist, <laughs> for a dentist, <laughs> a dentist waiting room. 
Uh, here, here's Dean Stockwell. You know, from yeah, Quantum it's basically Leap. like a yeah, it's like a weird house, and it's like a like a kind of effeminate man. I'm just gonna say effeminate because it's suave yeah. Ben, uh, or at least <laughs> that's what Frank Booth calls him. And it's but it's a bunch of like fat women. Yeah. Like unattractive women. It's like, what is this place? It's like a bunch of fat <laughs> ladies. And one lady is like texting on her phone all the time, but she's not because it's 1986. So I guess she's just <laughs> looking at her hands because there's someone sitting there doing this all the time. It's like, is she texting? What's she doing? Because in the modern she, terms, she would be. But, you know, she's reading the dialogue her character doesn't have on her day she wrote on her hands. So we assume these people are like freaked out on drugs and they're dressed like like fat lunch ladies from the 50s. Yeah. And then Suave yeah, yeah. Ben is there with makeup on. Yeah, he has like mascara and like kind of a light red lipstick or something. Yes. Or or a red or a lipstick that's been kissed off a few times. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's it's weird. It's just like I mean, I think we're supposed to read that as like he's gay. I have no idea what the he's suave. He's time. suave Ben. Is what I get. Out uh, of it. Uh, but he's like you know, but it's it, it's a it's a counterpoint to frank who's all wild and stuff and but and ben is just very calm <laughs> very calm <laughs> but he's also the guy distributing drugs so you know it's, yeah he's a smart yeah. drug dealer it's like don't <laughs> don't go crazy frank punches jeffrey you know just you know he pisses him off for, for just being there essentially and then Ben quietly walks over and kind of consoles Jeffrey for a moment and then punches him in the stomach as well. <laughs> yeah. So now you know that, oh, Ben's not going to be any help either. <laughs> and this is also where, like, uh, Frank just says, let Tits see your kid. Tits referring to uh, Dorothy. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, just reducing her to a sexual object. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, the, yeah, all these lunch ladies are basically, it's like, they're the muscle holding the kid hostage and the husband hostage in some room that we don't see. Well, and one of them is supposed to bring glasses for the beer because Frank can't stand it when the beer is warm. Yeah. And he's talking about this like a top volume, like he's shouting in people's faces. Um, <laughs> and then him and Suave Ben go into a, a side room uh, while Tits is seeing her kid. And he throws like, Suave Ben like throws a pill in his mouth into Frank's mouth and then uh, Frank takes it and then uh, they, you know, the glasses appear and they pour Pap's blue ribbon in them <laughs> and, and they're drinking the beer and then <laughs> Dean Stockwell does a lip sync of Roy Orbison's In Dreams <laughs> into a service lamp like what you used to use to work on cars um, which is actually a really cool scene for some weird reason, only yeah. because Frank starts crying <laughs> while Suave Ben is doing this, you know, kind of weird effeminate lip syncing of a Roy Orbison song. Oh, that's also where I have that. Was it Jack Nance does his weird things? Like he's looking, he's like analyzing, he's analyzing Jeffrey like an animal looking at something it doesn't understand. He goes, "I'm Paul." I yeah. think that's what he does. <laughs> he says that like three times. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, but it's it's almost like I am Groot, but he's saying it like for a different reaction each time. I'm Paul. I'm Paul. I'm 
Paul. Like he doesn't know. <laughs> he, he says it you know a different way three times. It's like oh, But how how you know how how progressive of Frank to hire the neurodivergent for his drug crews. <laughs> I, I mean I think it's great. <laughs> I mean if I was gonna become a full on drug dealer, it's like, yeah, I would hang out with an effeminate guy who would lip sync Roy Orbitson songs <laughs> into a service lamp because it's like I'm safe with this guy. This guy will never betray me because he's just simply too weird. I also Ben has like one of those long cigarette holders too. So. Yes, and in that way he's like Hunter S. Thompson. <laughs> uh, yeah, Frank gets boiled up with rage for some reason, and then he so he makes the crew hit the road. Well, yeah, because he's uh, crying because of the Roy Orbison song, and then he does this. You know, this is later in Lost Highway. We see a lot of this. He's like, because remember Frank says the f- constantly. Yeah, he calls people. F-. He's like, what are you looking at, you? F-? You know, because he's just he's just vulgarity incarnate, and he's like, "I'm ready. Let's go for a ride. I'll fuck anything that moves. Who wants to fuck?" And he's just yelling it, and then he just disappears off the screen. But yeah, the room's still there. It's like, oh. yeah, just it, yeah, he's there, and they basically cut to an empty frame of the room, so he just like disappears for a moment, <laughs> which happens in Lost Highway like 15 times. So it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's up to. You. Is that a mistake? Is that a filmmaker mistake? Or does that mean something? And that's up for you to decide. <laughs> well, you know, Lost Highway has my favorite riddle in it, which I tell my boss at work about the guy in the cowboy hat. And I'll tell him, it's like, well, do you need anything else, Nathan? It's like, if you see me once, you know everything worked out fine. If you see me twice, you know you failed. And I just <laughs> drive away. Because i got to understand, <laughs> understand, listeners, I'm on this big, giant forklift. And I'm just like, Wah. It's like, oh, I hope I don't see him again. You know, so it's like, yeah, I leave people with that. <laughs> um frank drives around dangerously he pulls over and yells at jeffrey frank takes a hit his hit of oxygen or amyl nitrate and he's like you're like me <laughs> to jeffrey uh frank just like molests dorothy here uh jeffrey says to stop that and then he punches frank which is weird like because now. frank's like oh all your gang buddies are there holding this guy back but he can clearly throw a punch <laughs> From the back seat of a '68 Charger, <laughs> like no, Frank's not he? bleeding or anything, so it's like, oh, it's just annoying. That's called a nuisance punch. <laughs> um, yeah, it's probably the first time he's ever punched somebody. So. Yeah, it's not a good one. Uh, aim for the chin. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's like a Nathan punch. Yeah, I don't punch people in the face often. I've done it before in my life. Never been really effective. <laughs> I always end up with like no one's stunned and like don't hit me again. It's like oh someone's on my back now and I'm like trying to get them off and <laughs> and then I'm running out of the house like ah that didn't work out. I'm sorry. It's like are you sorry you hit me? It's like no I'm sorry my experiment didn't work but my punching experiment. They take Jeffrey out of the car and Frank puts uh, puts on some lips, lipstick and kisses Jeffrey on the face. And then in Dream starts playing again, and then some random lady is dancing on the roof of the car. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but she, the thing that's cool about this scene is, like, she's one of the gals in the back that I guess came from Suave Ben's place. I don't know. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, the Brad Dorf character is like, hey, you want to get out of here? And she goes with them. Yeah, and she's, like, the most horse-faced, like, ugly-looking woman, <laughs> which, like, good on this movie. That's what most real prostitutes look like anyone who doesn't know it's not pretty woman with you know julia julia roberts that's not what most prostitutes look like they really look like the chicks in 
uh, blue velvet. So young men take that for what it's worth and don't do it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, she starts dancing on the roof, but not to the music, just in a discordant, like weird, <laughs> like I'm on drugs and I'm dancing uh, on a cloth top car, which is kind of weird, but yeah. <laughs> uh, Frank recites the lyrics and beats up Jeffrey. And then we cut to darkness. Yep. Uh, Jeffrey wakes up the next day, like just abandoned in this like industrial place or lumber yard. Yeah. Yeah. Lumber, uh, Lumberton. Beaten. Lumberton. <laughs> where men are men and don't wear women's clothing. Lumberton. I don't know what they say, but yeah. Um, we cut to Jeffrey sits up in bed and he weeps and he's like having memories of hitting Dorothy uh, and the whole dire situation with their son. So now he's basically realized like, oh, I've done bad things. I'm in a bad place and nothing is going right. I don't know how to fix it. Yeah. Uh, so that's the end of act two we have act three uh jeffrey talks with sandy on the phone she wants him to tell everything to her father so jeffrey has breakfast and he tells the ladies there to, like he doesn't want to talk his about mom his mom and his aunt by the way <laughs> oh okay so jeffrey and, his, and and there are two like innocent old ladies like oh what happened he's like i don't want to talk about it <laughs> and then the one lady uh what's her name dolores his aunt because she's been in a lot. Aunt Barbara. Frances Bay is the actress. Okay. Yeah. She's like, Barbara, Aunt Barbara, I don't want to talk about it. This is the last time I'm going to say it. And, and, like, he looks like he's been, like, you know, just just beat up really good. Yeah. Like, shiner, swollen jaw. Like, yeah, it's not <laughs> been a good night. And then uh, Jeffrey goes to the police station to hand over evidence, but he spots that Gordon, the yellow suit guy... <laughs> is a cop and decides against it. So it's like, wait, there's a whole conspiracy here. The cops are in on it. Um, but then Jeffrey sees go at night, goes to detective Williams house to show him the evidence personally. So he doesn't want to, he wants to keep, cause he doesn't know who to tell. So he, he detective Williams, the only one he trusted here. Sandy feels really guilty for getting him to <laughs> getting, she got him into the whole situation. So she feels guilty about that, but she hasn't experienced all this weird so far. So. Yeah. Yeah, she doesn't exactly uh, know everything that's going on either. Yeah, she just knows it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> we have Jeffrey watering the lawn and sunglasses, and then he has another hospital visit with his father. It's night, and the cops are at the Williams house, or at least there's just a cop car out front with the light going on. Yeah, with the light, like, going full, and the siren, too, remember? <laughs> what you think, like, oh, did something happen at the Williams? Like, no. <laughs> no, they're just Not yet. running the siren. <laughs> and actually, it's like, it's date night for Sandy and Jeffrey, so now they're an item. Then Gort, Tom, or I wrote Tom here. Yeah, Gort, the, the yellow yellow suit guy, the crooked cop, shows up. He kind of looks in for a moment. He's, I don't know, presumably he's uh, Detective Williams' partner, but we don't know. I, mean, I don't know how the police department here works. No, they say it's his partner later. Okay. Jeffrey and Sandy go to like a house party, at least I think. I've never been to a house party. It looked like a house and there was a party going on, so <laughs> I assume that's what's going on here. They dance to Julie Cruz's Love Letters. Uh, which I don't know. Her, well, her most famous name is Twin Peaks, so that's what she she does the lyrics for the theme for Twin Peaks. I mean, I know mostly you don't hear the uh, the lyrics for the the Twin Peaks song, but yeah, she does, and she does a bunch of other stuff for David Lynch movies. So. Oh, real quick though, uh, uh, Angelo, I don't know how to do this name. Battle of Mente. Yeah, yeah, the same guy who did like the famous. 
you know, Twin Peaks, like, you know, the guy who did everything that's you know when you hear it about Twin Peaks also did the soundtrack for this. That thing? <laughs> yeah, that. I mean, I knew what it was right away. So, yeah, <laughs> that thing. <laughs> so he also did the uh, soundtrack for this, which is a lot more subtle than Twin Peaks. But if you just yeah. look, go go to the soundtrack for Blue Velvet and listen to it, it's like, oh, it's a pretty effective soundtrack because you immediately recall it as you're listening to it. But there's also stuff with this song, like it's like the things that are lyrically in the song. He's like David Lynch is just putting on screen, so it's like practically a music video inside of his movie, which I love. I know sometimes that's a crutch, but I actually I love that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's cool. Just like I like weird things happen and people people acting normally. It's like yeah, it's like that's not necessarily the best movie device, but I love it. Uh, so they're dancing, they kiss. It's like kind of sad actually because they're like realizing like uh, the sadness that surrounds their entire relationship. Yeah, this is about the loss of innocence. <laughs> uh, they say I love you to each other, but you know it's like uh, <laughs> I don't think everyone knows. <laughs> I don't think everyone's on the same track here. <laughs> yeah, because you wonder if Kyle McLaughlin's next thing is going to be like, "Baby wants to." F- <laughs> Well, because she's quick to say it, and he's like, has to think about it. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I love you. And he's like, I love you. <laughs> I love you. Uh, they leave the party, and they think they're being chased by Frank. There's a really cool hubcap flying off thing here. Because the hubcap flies off, and then like it hits the curb and flies out of camera, and then falls back into camera frame. It's like that's magic. He can never intentionally do that. Yeah, which <laughs> makes you wonder, like, huh? It's like, yeah. David Lynch is like, keep it. It's great. <laughs> we'll fix it in post. Uh, but this ends up being Mike, the football player, ex-boyfriend of uh, Sandy's, uh, drunk. They're and like ready to fight. And he's got, yeah, he's got some football guys with him. Yeah, so drunk driving, they're going to fight people. And then, and they're just out of nowhere. Yeah, they're in front of Jeffrey's, I think it's, yeah, it's Jeffrey's house. Yeah. Um, and a naked and beat up zombie looking Dorothy shows up out of nowhere. It's yeah. like, and it's it just like, you know, uh, ruined the scene's the wrong word, but like, obviously, like Mike is caught off guard. Is like, he's like, what's this, your mom? And then he's like, suddenly, like, like, Oh, oh, he's wait, capitulating like, hey, I'm really sorry. <laughs> but you don't know why he feels that way. It's just all of a sudden he's like, hey, whatever weird you got going on here, <laughs> I'm super sorry that this naked <laughs> Italian lady who looks like she's been like put through a blender, uh, you know, whatever's going on, I'm sorry. <laughs> Which was a weird like character change. I don't know. Yeah. And then Jeffrey grabs Dorothy and puts her in the car, but he's like kind of hugging her to like, you know, block the nudity essentially. Uh, and then like, you know, of course Sandy is caught off guard by this because she knows like, well, this is super weird, but she also can spot like, oh, they had some sort of sexual relationship or something or whatever. So, um, yeah, chicks always know. <laughs> they go to the Williams home and call an ambulance. Dorothy is saying. Uh, that they hurt him, presumably either her husband or probably her child. Uh, I presume it's meaning more of her son. She calls Jeffrey her secret lover, 
and then Sandy's immediately distraught by this. Uh, also, like uh, Dorothy says, he put his disease in me. Yeah, <laughs> which, that's really which, weird. Yeah, like, Is that like an like, '80s AIDS talk or something? <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. It's like, does she mean Frank? But she, I think she means Jeffrey. It's no, like, she says that, that earlier too. She's like, you put your disease in me. It's like <laughs> nothing sexy about that. Uh, and this were like, I. It's like. This were like basically Laura Dern does like her like ugly ugly cry face thing that like only she like almost only does in David Lynch movies because it's just weird. It's like her mouth opens as wide as it can, her lips fold back, and just like half her teeth are showing. It's very awkward and weird, but it's like Laura Dern does it perfectly. Yeah, um, she did that in uh, Inland Empire a couple times. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think I think she does it in Twin Peaks as well at some point. Okay. She does it a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's, she didn't do it in the Star Wars movie, but yeah. <laughs> Again, she mostly does it for David Lynch. So. Well, that's where her heart really lies. Yeah. Dorothy uh, begs Jeffrey to help get her son back. The ambulance shows up and grabs Dorothy. Sandy slaps Jeffrey. So we cut to, it's later on, Sandy and Jeffrey are on the phone. Uh, so she says she forgives him and he apologizes and she just says, like, I couldn't watch that. Uh, and then they hang up, and then she's, like, crying again. She just says, where's my dream? <laughs> Which I had to put subtitles on for that, because, like, wait, what did she say? <laughs> so that's what she says. Where's my dream? <laughs> oh, wait, no, she does. I uh, forget. Early on, she said she had a dream about Robbins, and she was, like, that's where she kind of gets the idea that, like, her and Jeffrey should be together or something like that. So I forgot about that. So Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey goes to Dorothy's place. We, we cut to... Cut intercut to Sandy gets on the phone and try to tell her dad where Jeffrey is. Cut back, Jeffrey goes into the apartment, and there's there's a guy bound and gagged in a chair, probably dead. He is. <laughs> we'll find that. And then Detective uh, Tom, the guy in the yellow suit, is standing there with a head wound, not moving. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean you can uh, see like part of his brain. Yeah, <laughs> it's really it's 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 one of those scenes i love because there's blood like all over the kitchen and there's like, still blood pouring down the, yeah. the, the, the detective the yellow suit detectives so. these are these uh, david lynch scenes i love it's like what's going on like the violence already <laughs> happened you're just showing up like what is this well first we show we they they, they show they have the camera on jeffrey and he walks around the corner he's like oh shit. and he hops back into like the kind of like the 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 cubby area or whatever the yeah, little the hallway alcove, yeah yeah alcove and and then he then he like kind of like goes back and we don't see it yet it's like wait what did he see and then why is he like coming back to it and then they get to that it's like oh okay yeah it's like two guys shot in the head here okay uh we present yeah we presume okay this is probably uh dorothy's husband here that's dead in the chair we know it is essentially because they cut to his ear that's missing uh tom's radio comes on uh, that's the detective. Uh, the cops are about to raid Frank Booth's place, so we intercut to a shootout with the cops. Which is like a weird scene of like people pumping shotguns and firing them and cops laying on the ground and shoot, shooting from the window, but we don't... There's like It, it, it doesn't re- seem to relate to anything. It's like, oh, this is <laughs> going on, but it's not like Heat, where this is like, oh, this is the penultimate scene of the movie. It's like, no, nah, this is just some weird sh- going on on the other end of town <laughs> we're more worried about like brain wound guy and... 
Well, Jeffrey says, I'm going to let them find you on their own. And then he leaves the apartment. And as soon as there's like music playing, and as soon as he leaves the apartment, the music just stops immediately. <laughs> oh, and let's not um, forget the, the scene where the man in the yellow uh, suit, like his radio goes off and his arm like twitches violently. <laughs> it's just like, it's frightening. It's like, oh, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> um. As Jeffrey's leaving, he he spots Frank in a disguise approaching the apartment. This we have a flashback of a well dressed man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so he realizes that was Frank. Frank is like walking up the stairs, and he spots Jeffrey. So Jeffrey runs back in the apartment. Jeffrey knows that uh, Frank has a police radio, and so does he because he took it from the the Tom. Is this a Tom? The the, the yellow detective guy. Yeah, I think it's. Uh... Okay, I'll just call him Tom. I forget. I wrote two names. So. I always <laughs> think Curious George. It's like the man in the yellow suit. Yeah, Detective Tom Gordon. Yep. Okay, Tom. Okay. Jeffrey knows he has a radio, and so he's calling He's calling Detective Williams on the radio, and he's like, oh, crap. Like, Frank has a radio, too. So then he sets up a ruse to tell him, that, like, I'm hiding in the back. I'm hiding in the back room. And so then he goes and hides in the closet from earlier, so they're in different places. Frank huffs his, his drugs again. And then he goes in the room and starts shooting out the place. He has a silenced hand- handgun that has to rack every time he shoots it, uh, which is a real thing. Yeah, that's typical, um, especially in your larger caliber, like your forty fives and stuff. Yeah, they get the, all the uh, burnt powder and stuff just gets blown back into the gun within the silence. Even with the modern stuff, and yeah, you got to rack it. Every well, time. Uh, well, like well, yeah. Also, there's some even with a forty five that's subsonic. Sometimes you have to like if you want to be even quieter, you got to have a smaller load. That's not actually going to uh, cycle the round and eject itself. So you just have to cycle it yourself. Yeah. So, yeah, it um, happens with Glocks even. <laughs> uh, Jeffrey, like as he as he hears the shooting, runs out of the closet and grabs Tom's revolver out of his coat, and goes back in the closet. Frank's trying to figure out like where he's hiding, and then the the says he's in the closet, and he opens the door, and even though he knows like ah this kid's in here. He's surprised when he's holding the gun and doesn't do anything, and then Jeffrey shoots him in the head. <laughs> yeah, and it's actually a, a fairly gory like headshot, even though it's not like you're not witnessing it full on. It's like, oh yeah, Frank's head clearly like explodes, like yeah. out of the top of it at least. Well, it definitely when they showed him on the ground, you see like you know like 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 strands of brain on the ground. Yeah. So it's. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's not like a, a a modern day like CG headshot. It's pretty like explosive <laughs> and violent. Like, yeah, that's what happens if you fire a three fifty seven Magnum into someone's head <laughs> at point blank range. It's gonna look like that. Uh, Detective Williams and Sandy show up, and then he's he sees uh, Jeffrey kind of distraught that he had to kill a person. He's just like, it's all over, Jeffrey. And then uh, Sandy and Jeffrey in the, are in the dark hallway, and they kiss as the screen fades to white. Um, then we cut to a shot pulling out of Jeffrey's ear. Uh, he sees like a Robin, which is the weird, like mechanical Robin they yeah. built, for this. <laughs> so. which I heard was done on purpose because it's about like the fakeness of the belief that like, Oh yeah. When the Robins show up, we'll be fine. And it's like, well, it's a f- obviously fake Robin and they probably could have made a better one, but it's like, <laughs> Oh no, we want to make it look fake. Cause it's, it's got a bug in its mouth. Yeah, and it's like, oh, it's eating the evil. See, we're fine, but it's really, it's all fake. Which is, I like that interpretation, so I'm going to say, yeah, good. It's also the genius thing that that 
that David Lynch can get away with where it's like, is this cheap production or is this genius? And it's like only David Lynch gets to do that stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, cause there's definitely stuff like that in the, the, the last season of twin peaks where it's like, Oh, I could do this in like Adobe illustrator. Yeah. And it's like, clearly David Lynch was just messing around with it. And it looks like, I mean, it is a bad amateur effect, but because it's David Lynch weirdness, it just works. You just roll with it. Yeah. <laughs> and then, but also you mix it up with that scene where it's like the, the nuclear explosion where it's like, oh, this is an amazing effect. <laughs> yeah, this is like world. This is like, oh, did, did he get like uh, industrial light and magic to come in and do this? <laughs> or it's like the blue guys and the you know mushroom cloud and all that. And it's, um, I still remember that episode. We watched that together, I think, in Iowa. Yeah, and I found that to be like particularly. It's like, oh, this is so much weird. I can't absorb it, <laughs> so I just had to do a running commentary of jokes because it was like almost <laughs> too weird for me. Yeah, so yeah, uh, Jeffrey sees Robin. They they go into like the kitchen, and Sandy and like his aunt see the Robin. It's holding a bug, uh, and then we cut back to like the montage of Americana. So we're just covering up the darkness again. Yeah. The picket <laughs> the, fence, the... the roses. It's, it's all good. <laughs> Uh, we got to Dorothy's in the park with her kid. She's playing with the kid. Uh, I mean, there's uh, there's almost there's a very I mean there's a very almost obvious interpretation because but it seems too obvious. Was like, well, this is all a dream, right? Like this never happened, or what's going on here? Because it's Jeffrey waking up, but it's like, nah, it happened. We're just but the way it's set up is like we're just gonna pretend it didn't. <laughs> well, it's kind of like what America, you know, because because um, you know, David Lynch grew up in like post World War Two America. And, and like that, that's where this like comes from. It's like, oh, there was horrible violence, like we were talking about before the podcast, but then we cover it up with like, oh, the flag and, you know, the hope of the future in America. And it's like this innocent place, but it's like, yeah, underneath it, there's a lot of bad going on all the time, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is like, I do believe that is a legitimate theme in this. Like, you don't have to be like weird film art school about it to <laughs> see that like, oh yeah, no, that's really what they're saying. And then Blue Velvet plays the uh, Isabella Rousselation version. Uh, and then the song ends, and then there's a shot of the sky. And then we cut to credits over the Blue Velvet curtains. And that's yep. the end of the movie. <laughs> and that's the movie. That's the show, folks. And and it was, uh, you know, if you like Twin Peaks, this is a good, like, oh, working out our Twin Peaks ideas movie. <laughs> it's also good as a standalone thing, too. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's, it's great visuals, music, all that stuff. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's an uncomfortable and weird movie, but, you know, that's David Lynch. So. Oh, well, yeah, you know, it's, you know that going in. <laughs> uh, so we're we're sending a probe into space containing the supercut of scenes from the Imperfect Collection that is the Verhoeven effect. Uh, we have one scene to choose from this movie. Nathan, what scene are we sending into space from Blue Velvet? <laughs> oh, that's going to be a tough one. Uh, because there's like, I, I mean, there's the obvious one, uh, the intro where his dad has some kind of, <laughs> he's fitting on the yard and then he falls over and, and, and like, uh, and then we see like the insects underneath, uh, like that's like the obvious big message of the film. <laughs> but then, you know, I think Suave Ben's apartment is like the real message of the film. Is like these are the gross characters that exist on the edge of town, that are a part of your community. 
you know, drugs and violence and sex, like that's, that's a part of every community in America, <laughs> but we don't talk about it. It just, you know, it's, it's the people on the bad side of town where that goes on, but everyone's over there and everyone's looking for it. Or if they're not, they're thinking about it. So I guess if I had to vote, I would say like, the opening scene makes the most sense to explain the movie. We're not we're not sending baby wants to f into space. <laughs> I mean that, that's part of the disease, you know. That, that, that's the disease that's being injected into you know Isabella Rossellini. Uh, but it's not like it doesn't really explain it. It's just like oh, this is the face of it. But why is it that way? That's that's the more important message, I think. They can find our because it's a David Lynch movie. It doesn't matter. That's the magic of David Lynch. Like yeah, it's whatever you think it is. Uh, you can find our podcast at veryoneffect.com. You can, uh, whatever platform of your choice, you, you can uh, rate us our podcast. You can rate us whatever you want. The only thing the algorithm listens to is the highest rating. Remember, you control the algorithm. The algorithm doesn't control you. We have listener support at veryoneffect.com, or you can support us at a monthly stipend at either $0.99, cents, $4.99, or $9.99. Uh, we are on Twitter at Verhoeven Effect. You can find us on Facebook, Verhoeven Effect. You can find us on YouTube at American Greed Factory. You watch both this and that show live and unedited. And we have t-shirts at belowthecollar.com slash greed factory. So for the Very Home Effect Podcast, I'm Conlon. And I'm Nathan. Goodbye, America.